The, uh, the first transaction that took place, according to the Medrash, the first transaction that took place in the history of the world was all the way back in uh, Parshas Bracious, um, between Cain and Hevel. According to the Medrash over here, Oisalaf here. According to the Medrash over here, Oisalaf, when Cain and Hevel first uh, came on the scene, they were trying to figure out how to distribute the, the available assets that were in the world. So the Medrash tells us that Cain took all of the real estate. Um, Hevel uh, took all of the movables, everything, you know, all of the animals. Um, and that was how they divided, you know, what existed in the world. It was a, a reciprocal exchange. However, um, then Cain uh, said to Hevel, uh, I'm sorry, then uh, Hevel said to Cain, if you took all the real estate and I took all the movables, you're wearing clothing that belonged to me. So take off your clothing. And then Cain responded to Hevel, well, you're standing on ground that belongs to me, so jump. Um, you know, you, you, otherwise you're trespassing. And because of that, it led to a machlech in Cain and Hevel, and that's what ultimately led Cain to kill Hevel. This kind of exchange, which goes all the way back perhaps to Pirates of Beratius, is a, what we know as the barter system, is that it's a reciprocal exchange of goods and services in lieu of other goods and services. However, in this week's parish and parish we're introduced to a different kind of transaction that involves <coughs> money. When Avram Avinu was purchasing Moritz HaMachpewa from Ephron Achiti, so he purchased it for he pays 400 shekel kesef, and uh, in lieu of that money that he gives him, he is, he, uh, or that, that silver that he gives him, he is given, or, you know, title to, um, to the field. And it's from this passage, take the field, uh, take the money, and then, you know, I will take, uh, you know, ownership of the field, from which the Gmar Masechus Kiddushin derives. At least it's one of the sources for, uh, for Kenyan Kesef. We have other sources as well. Um, but uh, the Gemara Masechus Kedushin, at least on base, derives the whole institution of purchasing things with money from Avram Avinu's exchange with Efron Achiti, Kenyan Kesef, Nasati Kesef, Kachmimeni. There's another passage in Sefer Yermiyo, which says, Sados by Kesef Niknu, which the Gemara cites in that context as well. Fields are purchased with money that you also see that perhaps this uh, establishes this principle of purchasing things with money. Now, why is that advantageous over the barter system is obvious to all of us. And that is because the barter system involves changing or exchanging goods and services for other goods and services. But that requires, first of all, to transport the goods and the services to the merchant. That's difficult. You're walking around with cattle all the time or, you know, other things that you're going to trade. That, you know, obviously is labor intensive. Also, the uh, items require maintenance. You're going to have to feed this animal and take care of the animal. And that's, that's also labor-intensive. And also, um, they are consumable. They're not going to last forever. So they're not a great preservation of wealth uh, because it won't, it won't necessarily last. So therefore, you know, it makes sense that things evolved into a kind of a currency or using gold and silver in exchange um, of you know, trading goods and services directly because um, gold and silver are easily transportable. Uh, they require no maintenance, and they are a great preserver of wealth because they're not consumable. They don't uh, dissipate on their own, and because they have this kind of permanence to them, so that's, you know, that was the uh, advantage of gold and silver uh, over the traditional, or I guess the, 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 you know, the, the, the ancient um, bartering system. Over time, in order to um, to uh, attest to the fact, you know, what was the composition of metal that was contained within this coin, they began to stamp them. <laughs> the stamp that was on the coin, you know, either in the, you know, a picture or some other symbol, was meant to verify that this coin contained this percentage of gold um, and silver. And the chenveni, the money changer in the Gemara, his job was to be a bucky in all of these different kinds of surahs to know exactly what did this symbol represent and what did this symbol represent and to, you know, to, I guess, but also serve as a kind of like a, 
a fail-safe to make sure that it was actually the proper you know, metal composition that the coin attested to be. Over time, those symbols acquired a certain worth of their own and you know, began to, you know, to, 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 to develop that the coin with a certain symbol might have been worth more than the gold and silver, if you would have melted down the coin, it might actually be worth more. It wasn't only to verify the composition of the coin, but it took on a worth of its own, a significance of its own. That evolution of time, if we fast forward thousands of years, has led us to the current place where we find ourselves, where we have virtual coins, which are not at all the same as the gold and silver, you know, that was the, the advancement of the barter system. Here we have these virtual coins, which you can't hold in your hand, you can't smell, you can't touch, you can't feel. Um, they, but they exist in a virtual reality. So you might say, well, that doesn't exist. Al-Pi has no existence at all because it's, uh, we can't touch it, we can't feel it. So the, most Paiskim who deal with the issue do not treat virtual currency as if it doesn't exist. They believe that it does exist. Many people are investing money in these, maybe less so in the last week, but many people were investing a lot of money in these uh, entities and using it as a method of exchange, just like one would use um, you know, real coins or, or real, um, real currency to, in order to make these kinds of exchanges. Um, so the, the question within, you know, that we have to, uh, that we have to, uh, no, so we could discuss the technology of it, but the way, the way it works is, and again, I'm not a, an expert in this by any means, um, I haven't yet really met someone who understands everything. I know Shui uh, is, uh, is a bucky in his own right, but the, the technology side of it is very c- complex and oftentimes off-putting. But I don't think we need to be um, turned off by the fact that the technology doesn't necessarily, we don't really understand all of the mathematics behind it. We don't understand how the phone works. We don't understand how the computer works. All of us use it. Uh, the car works. All of us use it on a daily basis. So I don't think that that should necessarily turn us off, but just basically to understand what it is, is a series of numbers which is like a virtual address, um, you know, and, and, and there's a passcode or a seed phrase which unlocks this series of numbers and allows me to use it in any kind of transaction. But functionally, the way that it operates is like any other currency. It's some sort of asset which exists in some virtual reality which can then be traded for other things. So in halacha, how should this be treated? Should it be treated as a currency? Uh, or perhaps, it, be- it certainly exists. If you steal it from someone, you're certainly obligated to pay them back, and it's wrong to do so. So it certainly exists. People are spending a lot of money into these things and investing money. But how should it be treated in the area, in the eyes of halacha? Should it be treated like a currency or perhaps some other kind of, of property? So in halacha, we have two classifications, um, broadly speaking. There's currency, what's known as tiva, currency, and then there's payra. Payra means all other property that's not currency. Now that could break down into different groups. That could be movables, like commodities and consumables. That could also be property. And real estate is another kind of, you know, of, of property. But they're property as opposed to currency. The distinctions between the different kinds of property are not so relevant for our discussion, but you know, suffice it to say that we have to figure out, is Bitcoin property? Uh, belongs to one of those classifications? You know, legally, it's treated as real estate, but that's, that's, you know, that's irrelevant. And Halakha probably would have no similarity at all to real estate. They like to consider real estate as like a virtual address, you know, a certain list of numbers which no one else has, like a kind of address on the street which no one else has. So, but, but, but maybe, you know, whether it's property or movables is irrelevant for our discussion, but you know, it's distinguished, it's separate from currency. And what we have to try and figure out is, what is, what is Bitcoin? What is any other virtual currency or Ethereum or whatever is your you know, virtual cryptocurrency of choice? Um, is it currency or should we treat it as, as property? The main difference between property versus currency 
It is mentioned over here in the Gemara Masechus Bab Metzia Memdalim Ralph at the beginning of Parakazov. Here the Gemara is talking about purchasing movables. So in general, the Gemara here on Ois Dalad quotes the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan that Dvar Torah Mos Kainos Midoraisa. There is such a concept known as Kenyan Kesef. If there is a Kenyan Kesef Midoraisa, perhaps derived from the pasuk that we mentioned already in this week's parsha, Nasadi Kesef Asadi Kachmi Many. There is a, a notion of Kenyan Kesef. I can give money, and in lieu of giving you the money, I am Kona. I acquire uh, whatever I'm purchasing in exchange. And that should have existed both by real estate as well as by movables. However, Chazal were mavatel. They negated the Kenyan Kesef with regards to movables. They were mavatel. Why? The Gemara explains over here, Because what might happen is, I will purchase something from you by giving you cash, by giving you uh, uh, money. You're going to pick up the money. That's a Kenyan Kesef midaraisa, which should mean that whatever you're picking up the money in lieu of, I now acquire wherever it may be. The danger in that is, is that if I'm acquiring bushels of wheat or hay, uh, I give you the money, you have the bushels of wheat and hay in your possession, you might then never deliver those bushels of wheat and hay because you can claim, it doesn't belong to me anymore. Once you purchase it, it belongs to you, and I'm sorry, an accident occurred with your property while it was in my, you know, while, uh, you know, I, you know, it was still in my storehouse, but it belongs to you because you bought it with the Kenyan Kesef, and unfortunately an accident occurred and I'm unable to deliver it. So lest, you know, to prevent that possibility from occurring, Chazal said, you know what, Kenyan Kesef is not koine, so if you give a person money, you are not kind of immediately whatever you're purchasing in return. However, what, what, the, the opposite you know, would be true. If I, let's say the buyer, uh, you know, the, the purchaser, picks up the wheat or the hay um, before he's paid, so by virtue of him picking up the wheat or the hay, you know, the, the item that he's purchasing, you know, the, 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 he picks it up, he makes another Kenyan on it, known as Meshich or Hagba, he makes some other form of acquisition, so in lieu of that, he's obligated to pay the cash immediately. So there is a Kenyan Meshich, a Kenyan Hagba does exist in these kinds of exchanges, and the minute that you pick up the item, you'll be obligated immediately to pay, um, to pay cash. So that's what the Mishnah says over here, Things which are movables, if you pick them up, you're obligated to pay for them in return. If you pick up a coin, meaning if the seller picks up the money, the buyer, the purchaser, does not, uh, is not kind of that which he's purchasing right away. It's only when the seller actually delivers it to prevent you know, the, the possibility of the seller claiming that some sort of accident occurred and that's going to prevent it from delivering the item that was purchased. So that's one difference between metaltlin, between property versus currency, is Currency, the If you pick up the property, you will the other, you know. So then you will be obligated to pay uh, the money in exchange immediately upon picking up the property. Another difference between property versus kesef. One is the difference with regards to kinyan, as we mentioned. The other is in terms of fluctuations of value. The Gemara says over here, two lines from the bottom of Gimel, that uh, at least alpi halacha. Even though we know uh, the modern man knows that this is not true in the way that the uh, the, the, the economy actually works. We know that inflation is a result of, um, uh, of too much currency you know, available. And because there's uh, too much cash out there, so the cash becomes less valuable and therefore costs more to buy a gallon of gas or a loaf of bread. It's because the value of the currency uh, decreased. Therefore, it costs more. However, in the eyes of Allah, that's not the case at all. Currency always remains fixed. It's a constant. Currency never changes in value. Tiva is always constant. It's midi dekayets. It's fixed. Commodities, products, property, that's what changes. That fluctuates. 
in the eyes of halacha. Even though we know economics is reverse, api halacha, that's the way that it's treated. Inflation is attributed to the product, not to the currency. So that's what the Gemara says over here. The Gemara there is explaining how much you have to give for pity na ben, and the Gemara assesses it in silver. So the Gemara says it makes sense if silver is treated as currency, because then you establish it in a fixed amount. Because currency never fluctuates in value. You might have to pay her, but if you say that silver, we're going to get involved in that so, so detail in a minute. Currency, it's silver because we're going to get to silver in a second. But that suffices to say there's a difference between currency versus commodity. The silver, let's take out of let, what do you do with multiple currencies? That's exactly what the mission there is debating. When you have Kesef and Zav, which one is considered to be the currency and which one is considered to be a commodity, at least vis-a-vis the other currency. Right? Fair discussion. Right? But that's the basic distinction between a commodity and a currency. Commodities fluctuate in value. Currencies are fixed um, and constant. That's perhaps the resolution to a contradiction that the Ksais HaChoshin raises in the Gemara Mesechus Bovakam. Over here, the Gemara says in Mesechus Bovakam, it's, hey, Hazarek Matbeya Liyam, a person throws someone else's money into the sea. So is he considered to be a mazik that he has to pay for the damages that he caused or not? So the Gemara says, Potter, no, he doesn't have to pay for any da- kind of damages. My time, huh? Is it's right before you go and get it. Now, if you take someone's money, you throw it into the Hudson River, you can't say that. Mara says it's only true if the water is clear, and I can see it, like one of those penny ponds, you know. You go in and get it if you want it, or, you know, it might be deeper water, it might be harder, you might need scuba gear, but I can at least see it. If you throw it into a place where you can never find it again, then you are a mazik. But if you can find it, you can see it, so then let the guy go and get his money. It's upon him to go and get it, and I can say, dude, here's your money, go and get it, and I'm not considered to be a mazik. However, the Gemara says in Baba Kama earlier, and that if a person has a pit, and someone else's animal falls into the pit. So it's upon the balabar, the one who's the mazik, who caused the damage, to go down to get the animal, presumably the animal died from the fall into the pit, to pick up the carcass and return it to the owner, and he could deduct that from the sum that he owes him. He had a live animal before, and now the animal is dead, but at least I could deduct the value of the carcass from the live animal, which is the damages that were caused by the balabar. So that, the, the Gemara derives from the Pasuk, the that he has to pay for the damages that he caused, and the carcass belongs to him, which implies that this is all the responsibility of the mazik of the balabar to uplift, to get the carcass out of the pit, and to return it to the original owner, to the one who caused damages. So the Gemara says, why do I need a Xeris for this? Why do I need a Pasuk to teach me? This is obvious. Amalei Abayi Lerava, hai toirech neveo, this burden to uplift, or you know, to pick up the carcass out of the pit and return it to the owner, obviously the, the Balabar is one who has to do that. Hey, Chidami, what's the case? If in the pit it's worth one, and on, you know, on the ground level it's worth four, because in the pit it's a pain to go and get it, so the value is presumably going to decrease, so then obviously the Balabar is going to want to go down and pick it up in order to deduct more from that which he owes than Isaac. If he gives him the carcass at the bottom of the pit, he's only going to be able to deduct one. He wants to deduct as much as he can. So he'll go down, he'll pick it up, and then he'll give it to him, and now he can deduct four from the you know, that which he owes him. So the Gemara says, no, the Xeris HaKasif was necessary, that it's the Balabar's responsibility to pick up the carcass out of the pit and return it to him in a situation where it's worth exactly the same on the ground level as it is in the pit. How could you have such a case? It seems untenable, but that's what the Gemara suggests, that perhaps it's talking about that kind of scenario. But it sounds like from this Gemara that it's upon the owner, it's upon the one who caused the damage to go down and to get it in order to return it to the owner. How come in the Gemara... 
later on, when I throw your coin into the water, I can say to you, dude, it's your coin. Go and get it if you want it. How come over here, it's upon the balabor? Uh, you know, it's his responsibility to go down uh, and to get it in order to deduct the larger amount. Why can't he say, if on the ground level, it's worth four, so your responsibility is to go and get it. Here, there's four zuzim in the bottom of the pit. Go down and get it, and you know, you should be able to deduct four from the total that you owe him, even without going down and getting it yourself. Say to him, you go and get it, and it's worth four when you'll bring it up, and I'll deduct four. So that's the kasha the Ksaysa Chayshin raises. So Rav Moshe over here, the English Moshe. Huh? The, the bar is Hefker. The bar doesn't belong to anyone. A bar could even be Bershus HaRabim. Lav Davka belongs to him. How do you Money here and money there. So the Gemara says, if it's at the edge of the bird and it's so the, the depreciation of three zoos, this is like the Nezik, which for that you need the possible. Here it's, it was money, now it's money. Exactly. So that, you, you, that's what Moshe's distinction. Moshe's distinction is, is the difference between commodities versus currency. It says currency never changes in value. So I have the right to say as the so where it is, Basher Husham, it's at the bottom of the pit. So I could say to the Nizak, here's your carcass, go and get it, but I can only deduct one because where it is now, it's only worth one. So Rabbi says, but therefore, if you pick it up and you know, to now I bring it back to the ground level and I return it to you, now I can charge you four because the price has been restored to what it was before. But Rabbi claims the difference over here is not you know, we're not, we're not being inconsistent in terms of whose responsibility it is to retrieve it from the bar. We're talking about two separate items. So currency remains, you know, fixed at a value. So then I could say to you, you go and get your item and retrieve it, and, you know, and, 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 and I'm not responsible for the loss. Over here, it's a loss value. So I could say to you, here's your carcass, go and get it, but it's not to my benefit to do so. I'd rather pick it up and return it to you, you know, at, at, at the value of four and deduct that from the bank. The differential in cost is because of the cost to get it, the effort to get it, and that's the same for money. Correct. It's, it's not, but I'll be, it's this is halacha construct. I'll be halacha, money never changes value. It always remains fixed. Even though it's at the bottom of the ocean, it's still a dollar. And even though it's going to cost money to get it, it doesn't matter. It always remains fixed. Wherever it is, it always remains fixed. That was Chazal's view of monetary policy. Money remains fixed. Commodities fluctuate. Right, so in commodities, that's built into the item. That's why the price depreciates. So therefore, it's in my interest to go and get it. That's the Xeris HaKosta that you have to do it. That's the Xeris HaKosta that you have to pick it up. Even if it's worth the same, I have to pick it up as Xeris HaKosta. But the Gemara was asking, why do you need Xeris HaKosta? It's obvious that you should want to do it. So my question is on the Gemara that said that if I threw it in the water, why still I don't have the Xeris HaKosta? Ah, because that's Xeris HaKosta by Bar. Yeah. That's a, so the ocean is not a Bar. No, 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 no. That's Xeris HaKosta by Bar. After you threw it into a Bar, the cash. Then you, then you would be right. Yeah. Then you would be right. Correct. Correct. Yeah. But we're talking about throwing it into a yam. Right. But I can't pay you and say, I'll pay you. It might even be only by animals. Maybe it's only by, I don't know. It's an interesting point. I don't know. It's movable. Yeah. Yeah. I can't be Yashiv in the Mace. Yeah. I can't throw my money to the bottom of the ocean and tell someone, here's your payment on the bottom of the ocean, because I didn't give it to him. 
That's for payment purposes. He has to. You have to give it to him. So it's only when it's his already. I can say this. Correct. Then you're not a master. Correct. Uh, based on this yesoid, this difference between commodities and, and currency, I suggested a Chiddush a few years ago, a long time ago actually already, which I think I, I, still, I still believe is correct, and it's a Chiddush Lamaisa. In Pidin Ben, the amount of silver that you have to give, the Pasuk says, is Chamesha Shkalim Kesef. You have to give uh, five shkalim of kesef, which is a weight of esrim geira. It's a certain volume of kesef that you have to give, a certain weight of kesef. How much? The Goenim tell us this year today is accepted to be around 100 grams of silver. It's 96. We usually round up to be presumed to be 100 grams of silver. So many people, and that, that 100 grams of silver that you have to give over is not a weight of silver per se. It's the value of 100 grams of silver. Because the Mishnah says in Mesechus Becheres, you can be paid the pidyon aben with kesef, with silver itself, or shove kesef, or that which is the equivalent in worth to the kesef. Now that that Mishnah teaches us from the very fact that it's not kesef alone, the mitzvah doesn't have to be done with silver, it could even be done with shava kesef, that which has the same value as the silver, that it's not about giving silver, it's about giving a certain value. And that's why kesef is, you know, is exchangeable for shava kesef. So if that's the case, it seems to me the following, many people used to do pidin aben um, with coins that were printed by the United States before silver dollars are printed by the United States before 1935. Because five coins, it says in the Pasuk Hamesha Shkalim, you don't have to give five coins, but that's what it says in the Pasuk Hamesha Shkalim, so it's nice to give five coins. And they would take five silver dollars that were minted before 1935 that were made out of silver, and five of those coins together had, uh, amongst them, uh, 100 grams. So they would take, you know, five of these coins. It seems to me that, that those five coins were minted by the government as currency. They were used as currency in the marketplace. At some point, they were removed and became collector's items, but they were minted as currency. And perhaps, al halacha, they remain worth $5. Because al halacha, once the, their value of $5 was established, that remains intact. That never changes. It never moves. It never fluctuates. So it remains to be $5 today. So then what you end up giving the kain is five silver dollars, $5. But 100 grams of silver is worth way more. Than five dollars, so it seems to me that you see from this Gemara that Ramosha here, the way he explains this here in the Gemara, that kesef currency cannot function on two separate planes. You can't treat currency on the one hand as a commodity, as a collectible, at the same time as a currency, because that were the case, then the mazik, the the, the mazik, the person who took the guy's coin and threw it into the ocean, even though he doesn't have to play on the plane of currency because the currency remains uh, fixed. But if we assess every item on two planes, that of currency and that of commodity, at least vis-a-vis the commodity of this silver or gold, whatever I threw into the ocean, it should depreciate because it costs more to get it out. But yet we don't treat it on both planes at the same time. It only can function in one dimension at a time. So these silver dollars that were minted before 1935, with have the status remains fixed at $5 and cannot be used for pinning Ben because what you have to give is the value of 100 grams of silver and you're not doing so. But it was minted as currency. So I'm willing to concede. I'm willing to concede. The government continues to print silver dollars post-1935. They started about 20, 25 years ago. That, now, if you get five of those coins, which were initially issued as collector's items, the government, which minted them and made them into, it is legal tender, but they sell it. For more than $5, I agree with you. I think that's a collector's item and not currency. But if you take an item that was 
in circulation. And then that was established as five dollars as a coin that was in circulation. Now you want to use it for bidding a ben. To me, it's stuck in time. Doesn't matter. Al pi halacha, it's stuck in time. It's stuck in time. It's five dollars. I'm sorry. If someone's willing to pay for something, that's fine. But I'll pay halacha. If you steal it, it's five dollars. I'll pay halacha. It should be five dollars. It's nothing time. So, oh, so today, if you go to the Svarim store, if you go to Aikos and you ask for Pidina Ben coins, they'll sell you Israeli coins that are minted just for the purpose of Pidina Ben that has 100 grams of silver. It's Gvaldic. That's the best. I even think the coins that are printed by the United States as collector's items post-1935 is also great. But I w- some people are Dafka Mahader. I have a set of like 10 of them from previous Pidina Bens. I'm not a coin, but... Uh, collected these. I have a lot. It's great. And I understand why people do it. It's like some sort of gears of the Yankees to use these old coins. But I really think it's le- it's, it's worse. Bro, but Arne's not so happy right now. Huh? He has a whole stash of these coins. Okay, okay. Anyway, this is the basis for the halacha. And this is why it makes such a difference how we define Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. This is the basis for the halacha, what's known as sabasa. Look over here, the Shulchan Aruch quotes from the Mishnahites in Parakei Zeru Neshach, the fifth Parakei Mishnahites of Metziah, that of course one is not allowed to give a loan and receive in return more than he lent in the first place. That's the Isser of Ribis. And that's why you're not allowed to charge interest on a loan. You can't lend $100 and receive 110 in return. Let's say I lend you uh, any other commodity, though. And you're going to return the commodity. So the Gemara says we have to be afraid, even though we didn't contract from the outset that you're going to give me in return more than I lent you in the first place, the possibility could arise. Because if I give you commodities which fluctuate in value, so then it could be when I lend you, you know, uh, 10 chickens and you return 10 chickens, the price of chickens has either gone up or gone down and it's going to turn out at least it's possible that you're going to end up giving me something of greater value than that which I gave to you. So if I lend money, money is always fixed. Money is always a constant. It never fluctuates in value. So money, if I give you $100, you could always return to me $100, even though the dollar might have fluctuated in between. Al it always remains constant. But if I give you commodities and give me back commodities, the Gemara says you're not supposed to do that. It's Xerimid Rabbanan, lest to come to ribis, known as sabasa. You're not allowed to lend a saw of produce to receive, which is a certain volume, to receive a saw of produce in return, lest the price fluctuate in the interim. Cash is always permitted because cash, the value remains fixed um, and constant. There is an interesting um, exclusion here, though, which became popular in recent months. The Ramah says over here that neighbors are allowed to lend a bottle of milk to one and receive a bottle of milk in return, even though maybe in the few days before you return to me the bottle of milk, the price has changed. Neighbors are Michael on these kinds of small adjustments in the price. They, they, they don't pay attention to it. I give you a five pound of flour, you give me back a bag of flour, we don't care, I give you some sugar, you give me some sugar. This became a, a popular, became well known because of an advertising campaign by a juice company in Eretz Israel known as Jump. Jump, they had a, it was just brilliant. They had a, a commercial with one guy lends someone else a bottle of Jump, which is some sort of fruit juice, which has, I guess, you know, 3% fruit juice, uh, a fruit drink, a cocktail, has like 3% fruit juice. So one guy lent it to his friend, the other guy returned it. However, in the interim, the company had changed their formula, and now they had Yotir Pri. They had more <laughs> fruit juice. So it went from 3% juice, that's a 4% juice or 5% juice. See, that guy said, this is a joke, obviously, but it's, it's a great joke. The other guy said, well, you can't give me back that 
that which you're, you know, which I, which, you can't return to me that which I gave you because now you're giving me the, the, the newer version that has yoter pri, that has more fruit in it. He says, no, but it's ototavar. It, he says, it's the same thing. He says, no, it's, it's more fruit. So it ends up becoming a whole entire and the whole Yeshiva Shevelt is caught up in this, uh, whether or not this is a violation of sub is sub because neighbors usually don't pay attention to these small fluctuations adjustments within the product. So uh, the commercial is correct because if people do care about it, if it actually is a superior product, it will be an Easter of Sabasa. If people don't care about it, I, f- I feel bad playing into the stereotype of the commercial, but, but my, we're giving a shir now about Otel Davar, Yotel Pri. But in the end of the day, it is a, is a very good example of this, of this halacha. So getting back, that's why it makes a big difference how we treat cryptocurrency. Is cryptocurrency a currency which remains fixed in value? Or is cryptocurrency an asset or a commodity which can fluctuate in value? The main difference will be not for transactional purposes, because if there is something that is treated by as a transaction in the marketplace, um, even if it is not one of the formal um, transactions that are discussed by Chazal, the fact that it's used in the marketplace will be the equivalent of a formal transaction based on the principle known as situmta. The Gemara says if the way we contract deals is by shaking hands, so then shaking hands is the equivalent of a Kenyan in halacha as well, as long as that's the common custom. And today, the common custom is I transfer money on a computer. No one even you know, puts money from hand to hand. And nonetheless, that's considered to be a transaction in the marketplace. So that would be a transaction I'll be halacha too. So the main difference, you know, whether or not uh, virtual currencies or cryptocurrencies are treated as currency versus commodity will not have a, you know, a, a difference with regards to Kenyanim. The main difference will be whether or not you can lend one form of cryptocurrency and receive in return that same amount of the cryptocurrency at some point later on. Should that be a violation of sub-sa? Or do we say, no, currencies always remain fixed and constant, just like you can lend dollars and receive dollars in return, even though the dollar fluctuates, you can lend shekels, receive shekels in return. So how do we define what's a currency? Well, you know, we're, we're kind of, this is, this is a Shiloh that was not dealt with in previous generations. It's not working well for previous precedents. But we can look back to, well, what is the definition of, of currency versus uh, a commodity. So one could have said, and this is certainly one difference between you know, one feature of com- currency versus commodities, is that commodities all have a utility. There's, all, there's always a value to it. Uh, an animal makes milk and can be used as meat. Um, wool can be made into clothing, has other uses as well. Everything that's a commodity has some sort of utility, some sort of practical use to it. Currency, uh, gold and silver, have no practical use for it, other than as a, you know, as a way of, you know, an easy form of conducting exchanges and transactions. It has no inherent utility to it. So much so, the Ramban, this is a fantastic Ramban, the Ramban comes in the post and Akev, that the Torah praises Eretz Yisrael, Eretz Asher Avaneha Barzel, Maharirel, Tachsev Nechoshes. Eretz Yisrael is a land whose stones are of iron, and you can hew, you can mine its hilltops for copper. So, yeah, okay, iron and copper. I'd rather gold and silver, right? So the Ramban says, no, you wouldn't, because gold and silver have no inherent value. Uh, as opposed to iron and copper, they can be made into utensils and other kinds of, you know, kalim. Gold and silver cannot. They're too soft. They're, they, they aren't good for that. They're only used as, uh, you know, to, to store value. So, so, I mean, it doesn't count, like a like jewelry. jewelry. Like, that doesn't count. It's a, some kind of functional item. It's a weak function, yeah, right? It looks beautiful, right? But it doesn't have any utility. I don't think anyone would call that a utility. It's just a way of storing value and preserving value. So, so, so if that's our definition of what a currency is versus a commodity, um, so then virtual currencies could rightly be considered 
currencies because they are only um, instruments of storing value. They have certainly have no practical utility. They have no practical footprint. How can they have any kind of practical um, utility? If that's our definition of currency, I think one can make a good argument that it would fit into that classification. The problem is that doesn't seem to be the halachic definition of currency. If you look back at the Gemara Mesethus by Metziah or Gimel, the Gemara is discussing um, when you have two competing currencies, let's say Zav and Kesef, that are both used as, ma- as, as uh, methods of exchange. Um, so which one is the commodity? Which one is the currency? So the mission there says, Hazav kainas What that means is if you pick up the, the gold, then, uh, you know, say the, 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 uh, the purchaser picks up the gold, so then uh, the buyer is obligated to pay, uh, the buyer picks up the gold, so then he becomes obligated to pay the cash in return, right? Um, whenever you pick up the item that you're purchasing, so then you're obligated to pay the cash in return. Cash never um, triggers the transaction because unless you give the money and then the person tells you, I'm sorry, your product's burned in, uh, in a fire. So which one in this relationship is the metaltoin, which one is the, is the commodity, and which one is, is, the, is the cash? So the Mishnah says, Silver is considered to be the cash, that's the matbea, and therefore it can't trigger the transaction because Zao stunted it midrabanan. What is the commodity in this relationship is the zav, is the gold. So if you pick up the gold, the other person is obligated to pay the silver in return. If you pick up the silver, the other person, you know, is not acquire the gold um, immediately. So the Gemara says that this was actually the later version of this statement. Rebbe, who's the author of the Mishnah, had an earlier version where it was just the opposite. Rebbe initially held hakesef. Kainas has of, Kesef is considered to be the commodity, Zav, gold, is the currency. And then he switched his mind. And the Gemara explains why he switched his mind. Because initially he thought whatever is more valuable is, in this relationship, is the currency. Whatever is less valuable is the commodity. And that makes a lot of sense if the definition of a currency is a method of storing value. Because then it makes a lot of sense to say gold should be treated as a currency vis-a-vis silver. It's a better method of storing value. It could store more value in a more dense, you know, more, you know in a smaller quantity. However, Rebbe changed his mind. And Rebbe said, no, the reason why he switched his mind that Silver is considered to be currency in this relationship and not the gold is because silver is charif, Yosef. It's used more in the marketplace as a method of exchange. And since it's more common in the marketplace as a method of exchange, therefore it's considered to be uh, the currency. And therefore it seems to emerge from here that the definition of currency is that which is used in the marketplace as a method of exchange, not that which is the best at preserving and storing value. You only have one currency? Why can't we say both of them can have a currency? So which one fluctuates then? One of them has to fluctuate. Well, to get, has to be yeah. In theory, you could. In theory, you could. But at least in order to qualify as part of the discussion, it has to be a common, we use, method of exchange. But that's the way we define currency. Maybe you could have two competing ones at the same time. Only when you're exchanging one for the other will it matter. So uh, let, let's move forward now to, to our discussion. You know, obviously, we were discussing the evolution of money from the barter system to cash that we find, uh, you know, Ketzef and Zav, that we find the Parshish Chayisel, is Avram Avinu's purchasing Mars HaMachpela. But the, in between there and cryptocurrency, there was a whole development that we missed over, that we skipped over, known as paper money. And uh, paper money developed because... Um, it became uh, burdensome to uh, you know, when the global economy was expanding and people were purchasing in greater quantity, it became very burdensome to carry sacks of coins wherever you went, basically, you know, like, uh, it became very heavy. And you were uh, an easy target for pirates. You were, it, was, it was hard to, uh, hard to hide uh, 
bricks of, uh, of gold and, and silver coins. So because of the frequency of trade and the volume of trade um, and the difficulty in transporting all these coins from place to place, they developed what was known as bank notes in its first iterations, which was you would store a certain amount of coins in a bank, the bank would issue you a receipt, and that receipt was transferable. You could give that receipt with had a signature that could not be forged to someone else who could then go to the bank and redeem it to get the coins in exchange. So that was a way of easily, and that, those were easier to hide, certainly, and much easier to transport. So these kinds of banknotes became very popular. It became so popular that the government started to get into the business, and the government started issuing their own banknotes in the form of paper money. And that receipt... Um, enabled you to go and retrieve it for some gold and silver that you could get um, in exchange. It became an easy method of transaction. So when this first came onto the halachic scene in the 1700s, so the Paiskin were at a strut, were at a loss, how to deal with it. Should this be treated as, as a star, as an IOU, or should this be treated as cash? What's the difference? The difference is with regards to Pidin Aben. For Pidin Aben, the Gemara says over here, Mesech you have to give cash. Davar shegufoy mamon. You cannot give shtaros. It's based on the Pasuk and Parashas Kairach that you have to give something which is gufo mamon like silver. You cannot give shtaros. You cannot give an IOU. How should we treat paper money? So the Chsam Seifer was one of the first ones to deal with this. It's quote over here in the Pischei Tshuva. And the Chsam Seifer um, believes that since these banknotes, is the way he encountered them, were backed by the government, so since the government declares that commerce should take place using these kinds of paper money, so then even though its whole value is because I could go to the bank, I could go to some government entity and retrieve gold or, uh, or silver in return, um, so it is kind of an IOU. Since the government declared that we should use it for commerce, so based on Dina de Malchusa Dina, the law of the land is the law, so then in Halacha 2, so then these coins should have the status of Kesef as, as cash, as currency, in the eyes of Halacha 2, and can be used as cash or as currency. The Chsam Soifer is not true if we should carry that over to Pidin Aben. Why? Because Pidin Aben is not an interpersonal matter or even a governmental matter, which perhaps Dina de Malchus Adina should apply. It's a religious matter. And the Chsam Soifer argues that maybe Dina de Malchus Adina doesn't expand, extend to religious matters. Yeah? Based on what you said before, I'm surprised that his I agree with you. I, uh, that's where I'm leading. That's where I'm leading. That, that's what we're getting to. But this was Sam Seifu, was one of the initial people to treat, you know, to deal with it. He treated it in this fashion. And he seems to be based on a Rambam, because the Rambam discusses Dina Malchusadina, and the Rambam mentions that in order for Dina Malchusadina to apply, you have to be a legitimate government. If you're an illegitimate government, you're just an occupying force, Dina de Malchusa Dina doesn't apply. So the Rambam there says, well, how do you distinguish between an occupying force and a government? So the Gemara says, well, if everyone accepts their coinage, that's the legitimate government. The Rambam says, if matbeo yoitse, people use it for commerce, that's a government. And the Rambam sees this as one of the defining features of government, and one of their primary responsibilities is to establish rules of the road of commerce. And part of that is establishing a kind of currency. So some cipher felt that paper money had the status of currency, its value should not fluctuate, remain fixed and constant. Whether or not we carried it over to Pidin Aben seems to be a, a, you know, a different debate, but the Chsam Seifer felt that based on Dinah Malchusadina should have the status of currency. There was an interesting argument that was made by the Ayni Gantif, which gets lost over here in the shuffle. He was the Rav in Bialystok a few years after the Chsam Seifer, and he felt we should distinguish between paper money and coinage. He says if the government makes it a coin and assigns it to a certain value, then, you know, that has a value that remains fixed and constant. He was willing to entertain coins, even though the value of the coin was more than the value of the metal itself, because at least that has some inherent value. At least that has some, you know, utility, some, some uh, um, you know, value to it. It has some gold, it has some silver, the metal has some worth to it. Paper, he says, has no value at all, 
and therefore an, it's an arbitrary value that they assign to the paper, and he's unwilling to, uh, to concede that the halacha recognizes that. That distinction that he draws between the inherent value of money as opposed to the, you know, the, the, the lack of inherent value in paper, uh, the Paiskim don't really understand. Paper, or whatever value is in these cheap metals that are used in these coins, the same could be said about the paper, and therefore that kind of argument gets lost in the discussion. The Chazan Ish, though, makes a different argument than the Chazan Sefer. Actually, the Shoyal and the Chuvah of the Chazan Sefer makes the same argument of the Chazan Ish. The Chazan Ish's argument is, look, this is used for commerce. It's used for transactions. You know, and since it's used, whether it's because of Dina Malchus Adina or it's because of mutual agreement that we're going to use this for a method, a means of transaction, in the end of the day, this is the method of exchange. And this has become commonplace in the marketplace. And the Chazanish writes that the Hagdara de Iraisa of what is cash, what is currency, which has many ramifications of the halacha, is whatever the people agree to use as a method of exchange. The Chazanish writes the default currency in the absence of any kind of mutual agreement is kesef. Kesef, or Zahav, is the default currency that Kaddish Baruch Hu placed into the Bria because the Bria cannot function without any kind of means of exchange. But when everyone agrees to use some other kinds of means of exchange, so then that takes on halachic status all of its own, because, simply because people use it. Here the Chazanish writes, over here in the end of the first line of Voice Yudaud, in and on at Bea, Koldavish is Kimola Bea Medina, Lim Korvaliknois by whatever we all agree to make transactions with, that is the status of currency al Piyalacha. And this seems to be baked into the Bria, with, you know, the Chazanish's global argument. The Gemara says over here, Masech Lesbsachim, there are three things that HaKadosh um, Baruch Hu intended to create, and even if he didn't intend to create them, we need them in order for the world to function. One of them is that the body should decompose and people should forget about their relatives who have passed away. Why? Because otherwise they'd be engrossed in mourning and, 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 and their whole life and they would never be able to move on. So it's a Kaddish Baruch implanted in the Bria that we forget people have passed away. Also, that produce should rot. Why? Because if produce would never rot, so then I would hoard it all for myself and I would never give it to somebody else. I, the farmer has to share it with other people because it's going to rot otherwise. So that, that ultimately is good for society. The other one is that we need currency. We need a method of exchange. Otherwise, we're back to the barter system and that led to Cain and Hevel. So we need some kind of method of exchange. What is, what defines a method of exchange? According to the Ksam Sefer, it's Dina the Malchus Adina. Every government in their country has the right to establish currency. According to the Chazanish, it's whatever people use as a method of transaction. That takes on the status of currency. So moving back to virtual currencies, um, it certainly will not satisfy the Ksam Sefer. The whole kunst of virtual currencies is, is that it's not sponsored by any kind of government. There is no middleman. It's all kind of these peer-to-peer transactions that sits on this large network of people. Now, it does have, you know, the fact that a lot of people invest in it. It certainly does have broader acceptance. And people are agreeing to invest in this kind of product. At the same time, it has not become a method of exchange. Most places do not accept this in lieu of payment for items. And since it has not, no, that might change. And if it does change, we'll have a big Shiloh, because according to the Chazanish, it might be considered currency. According to the Chazanish, it will never be considered currency, because it's not backed by any kind of government entity, and there would be no Dina de Malchusadina. But at least according to the Chazanish, which seems to be the prevailing view, we treat paper money as money. You can do Pedina Ben even with paper money, probably. Like the Chazanish, we treat paper money as currency. By the way, of course, you can't even retrieve that for gold and silver anymore. It's not just an IOU. In the 1930s, we got rid of the gold standard. You can't get gold and silver anymore for it. It is all arbitrary value. But the very fact that we all agree to use it as currency is what endows it with its status as currency. And the same could be true with regards to virtual, virtual uh, currencies at some point if we will all agree to use it. But we're not there yet. So right now, it should be viewed as a financial investment vehicle, a method of preserving wealth. 
are making money, but not 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 currency. Huh? So in El Salvador, it might be considered currency. Oh, oh, so one practical point. By the way, there's, a, there's an important important distinction. If you lend someone Bitcoin, you lend someone Ethereum or some other thing, there's another exception to sub. So you're not supposed to do it and receive Bitcoin or Ethereum in return. But if you have one Ethereum, one Bitcoin at the time of the loan, so then I can pay you back at least that. I could have assigned to the loan to pay you back and I have it right now. That's not something that you know I'm going to acquire later on in the future in order to pay you back. If you have one, even one, or I think a share of a Bitcoin or Ethereum, um, then, then already the prohibition of sub doesn't apply. So if you're going to borrow Ethereum or some other kind of cryptocurrency and pay it back, make sure that you have one in your possession at the time of the loan. Huh? <coughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>